Jesus is more than enough, isn't he? There has never been a situation in my life that Jesus did not have an answer in his word. And I'm thankful for that. And that goes right in line with what we're going to be talking about today. If you would turn your Bibles to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. A little bit of a fear leading into this Sunday. It's going to be gone. And uh, as, uh, as we approach getting closer, I, I realize, well, I'm just going to have to preach with this tarp behind me. And uh, many of you know, if you've heard me preach, that uh, I like to move around. Sometimes I like to move back, I like to move side to side. Just keeps things uh, moving and flowing here. And, um, and then not to mention, the space between this tarp and this pulpit is, uh, is not very wide. And many of you uh, can attest that after Thanksgiving, get a little wider, right? And uh, so I'm hoping that I got enough clearance here to uh, to survive. The whole thing doesn't come crashing down on me. And uh, then we have a service that we'll really remember, right? Uh, but that's what we're going to be talking about. Remember my words. John chapter 15. If you found that in your Bible, I want to encourage you to stand if you're able to. John chapter 15. And we'll read one verse together. John chapter 15, verse number 20. <clears throat> John chapter 15, verse number 20. Remember the word that I say unto you. The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. Can we read together those first three words? Ready, begin. Remember the word. Remember the word. Title of today's message is Remember My Words. Let us pray. Lord, we do thank you for this morning. We thank you for the fact that you have given us instruction that helps us in life's uh, moments of of trial and difficulty as well as times of success and and, 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 and victory. And, And Father, I pray that today we will be reminded to remember you. And uh, Lord, when we go through seasons of of life, may we uh, stay focused on the truth that you give to us. Lord, I ask that you give me the right words to say over these next few moments. I I know that uh, many are uh, traveling still with uh, friends and family over this holiday weekend. And uh, Lord, some of us are fatigued and um, some of us uh, now are here and approaching Monday tomorrow and Maybe our mind is already set on what we're going to accomplish at work and, and getting back into the normal routine. Lord, I pray that over these, this next hour or so, I pray that everybody in here will just dial into the preaching of your word. Father, I ask that you give me the right words to speak, guide my heart, guide my lips, and may everything I say be glorifying and pleasing to you. I pray that you uh, meet with us in a A mighty way. Lord, fill me with your spirit. May your power go forth over these next few moments. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Christians are responsible to follow and obey the truth that we have been told. God does not give us instruction merely so that we can know truth. He gives us instructions so that we can act on that truth. Let me ask you a question today. 
how much of God's instruction are you remembering and following on a daily basis? Maybe I can ask it this way. How much preaching do you remember and how much preaching are you following through with? Many of our problems today are not a lack of hearing truth, but rather a lack of remembering and applying truth to our daily lives. As I mentioned, the problem is not with the amount of truth that we get. Let me help you see some numbers of, of, of some things that, uh, uh, how much truth you get in a given year. If you just were to show up on Sunday morning here at White Oak Baptist Church, uh, we have typically 52 weeks out of the year. So if you just come on Sunday morning alone, just at 10.30 or maybe just the 8.15 service, you will have heard 52 messages. That's a lot of messages. That's a lot of truth just in and of itself. But if you were to come then just on Sunday morning and Sunday night, you weren't be, uh, come to church any other time except for Sunday morning and Sunday night, you would have heard 104 messages. If you come to Sunday morning, you stay for life groups, and then you come back in the evening, there's 40 life group messages. And so you would have heard 144 messages based on God's Word. And we continue on. If you go to Sunday morning, life groups, uh, Sunday, Sunday evening, and then on Wednesday, that's a grand total of 196 messages. And then if we were to add in the ladies' and men's Bible studies, and it's not even including missions conferences and other things we have going on, that's a total of 220 messages just in a given year. But... Let's think even further than that. If you attend, let's just say you attend Sunday morning and you attend life groups and you attend uh, Sunday evening and Wednesday. Just those four uh, primary messages. And let's say you attend White Oak Baptist Church for five years. You will have heard 980 messages. 980 messages over five years. Almost 1,000 messages But I think all of us can agree, after a thousand messages and five years of church, we still don't have it all together, do we? The problem is not with the amount of messages that we hear. The problem is the the times when we need to apply the messages that we've heard. And Christians are responsible not just to hear, but then to do what is being told of them from God's Word. Growing up, my parents would give little phrases here and there that would end up living in my head all the way to this day. These phrases were not random. They were pointed phrases and uh, they were instructive uh, and very pivotal in my upbringing. I remember my dad sometimes would look at me as a kid and he would say this phrase, learn to be responsible. Learn to be responsible. I remember uh, one time I was working outside and I borrowed some of his tools. And uh, my dad was at work and he knew I was going to borrow the tools. And I, I used them, but I didn't put them back. And he drove in late at night and saw his tools just kind of laying in the yard and came inside and said, if you leave these tools out, they're going to rust. They're going to be no good. And so, son, you need to learn to be responsible. He would say other things like this. I remember hearing this one quite often. There's a difference between doing the job and getting the job done. 
My dad would say that often. He would uh, know that my mom would tell me to clean my room and I would go up there and, and I, would, I would have a pure heart about it. And I would desire to have a clean room and I'd start to put some clothes away and all of a sudden I'd see an item that I didn't see for quite some time and it captured my attention and all of a sudden I'd be doing that and then I'd get caught up and it's lunchtime and then there's other chores and things to be done around the house and uh, my dad would come home and he would say, hey, did you clean your room? And I would say, yeah, I cleaned it. Yeah, I cleaned it. He would go up there after dinner and he would look and he would see that the room was partially clean. Sure, I had done some cleaning, but I did not truly get the job done. And he would say, son, there's a difference between doing the job and getting the job done. And even to this day, that phrase still rings in my mind. He would say something like this in the context of purchasing something. Is that a need or is that a want? Sometimes I would say, Dad, I need this. Son, is that a need or is it a want? And I'm thankful that I learned that lesson and, and uh, my wallet thanks me uh, for learning that lesson as well as uh, sometimes I have to sift through. Sure, my desire may be to have this, but is it necessarily something that I need? And my mom would say this phrase quite often as, as I would come home from school and perhaps have a bully or, or some kind of mean-spirited person. She would say this, she would say, son, you need to learn to love the unlovely. Son, you need to learn to love the unlovely. God loved us when we were unlovely. And that when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And if we are to love the way that God loves, we need to learn to love the unlovely. When people treat us wrong, when people uh, uh, have ill intentions for us and they, they desire to hurt us and harm us, we still need to have the attitude to love the unlovely and I think perhaps that uh, statement right there has been one that has helped me greatly in ministry as, as there's been some people that maybe were a little hostile and, and maybe a little sharp-tongued uh, towards, towards me or my family or something like that. And I remember in those moments her saying, you need to learn to love the unlovely. These lines would ring in my head as truth in moments of my adulthood when I needed them most. They were only as valuable as the amount I chose to remember those words. My parents did not simply want me to know the truth of what they were saying. They wanted me to remember the truth of what they were saying so that I could apply it when it was needed. This is a valuable element of church today. Often we come to church wanting to discover a new truth or fact about the Bible. And I think that's perhaps a noble or admirable uh, uh, type of characteristic when we come in and you want to hear the preacher give you something that you did not previously know before. Maybe just a little nugget of truth or uh, expounding on a word that you previously did not know. But that is not how we should be coming to church every week. As we hear message after message, we, we can become disenchanted with the preaching and say to ourselves, I already know all this. Perhaps if you've attended here long enough, you've heard pastor and, and others have gotten up here and preached about the gospel and salvation. And I believe uh, by hearing several testimonies this morning that the vast majority of us in this room have a salvation testimony. And so when you hear the pastor preaching and you hear him going down the Romans road and talking about the gospel, we become disengaged and we say, well, I already know all that. 
I don't need to hear it anymore. But the truth of the matter is, church is not just a place to discover new elements of the Bible. Church is about being reminded of truth that you already know. It is God in heaven who knows what you will face and desires to present you with truth that you will need for this week. Sure, you may already know. You may have heard it ten years ago, uh, twelve years ago. You have the knowledge in your mind. But what is God trying to do through His preaching? He's pr- trying to remind you that this is what you need for your life this week. This is the tool. Sure, you may know how to use it. You may know what it does. You may know uh, 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 all the verses that go around it. But hey, my friend, hey Christian, you need to apply it now. And that's what preaching does. It's not a fresh new truth every Sunday. Sometimes it's saying the same truth and reminding you so that you can apply it at an even quicker rate when Satan comes or when trials and difficulties enter your life. God robed Himself in flesh and walked this earth for three and a half years. During this time among us, He gave us many instructions on how to live life to the fullest. The Christian, uh, for the Christian, uh, these are not suggestions, but rather commands. And these are the commands we are committed to. Mem- we need to commit to memory and put into our daily living. Hence, why the theme for this entire year has been the commands of Christ. You've probably heard these commands sung and and preached on and and proclaimed time and time again, but what we are desiring to do is bring them to your remembrance so that you can apply them. Let's look at three truths as we consider this command of Christ to remember my words. As we begin today, I want us to see the degrees of remembrance, the degrees of Remembrance. If we are to remember, if we are to recall, if we are to bring things back up into our memory, we have to understand that it is a process. Let's look at the process together as we look at remembrance. Studies have shown uh, what the mind goes through when it is trying to remember something. The very first thing that takes place when we are about to remember something or or put something in our memory bank, the very first element that it goes through is something called sensory memory. Sensory memory. Before any of us are able to log and categorize and, and, and store away information in our brain that must go through our senses. And you've heard what the senses are, the five senses. You have uh, your eyes and what you see. You have your ears and what you hear. You have what you touch. You have what you smell and you have what you taste. Before anything can enter your brain, it must go through the gates of your senses. And the Bible speaks much about our senses. I'll just 
speak quickly here as to what the Bible has to say about our senses. What we see, Lamentations 3.51 says this, Mine eye affecteth mine heart because of all the daughters of the city. Uh, what we hear in Romans chapter 10, verse number 17, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. What we touch, Matthew chapter 20, verse number 34, So Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed Him. What we smell, Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 2, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given Himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. And finally here, what we taste, Psalm 34, 8 says this, O taste and see that the Lord is good. The Bible has something to say about all five of your senses. Why is that? Why does He choose to talk about our eyes, our ears, our touch, our smell, and our taste? Because He knows that that is the gate in which everything then goes into the brain. Goes into what you think about. Once you have touched, seen, heard, uh, smelled, or something to that regard, you then, uh, once it enters the brain, it enters uh, this short-term memory portion. And uh, it, it, it will be uh, the information that you have either observed or had uh, happened uh, to your senses. Uh, it is stored in a short, short-term memory for up to 30 seconds. And then forgotten unless the process called encoding takes place. I often laugh when uh, at uh, at our teen events, uh, perhaps uh, neighborhood Bible time, or or even uh, some kind of camp. Uh, we have uh, our teenagers that that desire to study and memorize verses for a competition, and they put no work into memorizing until they show up to the event. And what they do is they real quick. Read the verse over and over and over and over and over again, uh, just for that little bit. And what are they doing? They're training their senses, they're training their short-term memory to remember this thing just for 30 seconds. And they run up to the table and they say, I know the verse, I know the verse. And their short-term memory is able to recall that verse. But then at the end, you may ask the teenager, do you remember the verse that you memorized in the beginning? And many times they're not able to. Why is that? Because they were able to get it as far as their eyes in reading and perhaps in their mouth and saying it over and over again, but it just went into a short-term memory portion of the brain. Encoding it then is taking the information that is valued and converting it into a stored memory uh, meant for safekeeping, which leads to long-term memory. Long-term memory. Things that your brain then says, this is very important information. We need to find, so to speak, a filing cabinet to keep this information for safekeeping. And that is your long-term memory. I think all of us in here today know our name. You didn't have to be reminded of your name 30 seconds ago. You remember your name. Why? Because long ago... Maybe as a child, maybe four, three, two years old, uh, your parents told you your name. And over repetition and over other things, your brain said, this is important information. I need to store this 
for future reference. And we're able then to quickly, and somebody asks us our name, bring that up to our remembrance and say, my name is Andrew McGuire. Or maybe they ask you for your birth date. And, and all of these things, you're able to bring them up because they have been stored in your long-term memory. Have you ever smelled a scent? And that single scent for that moment brought you all the way back to your childhood? Sometimes I get like that around Thanksgiving and I think uh, uh, of just the Thanksgivings I've had. And uh, traditionally what we would do is one year we would go to my grandmother's, my dad's mom, and uh, we would get all the cousins together on uh, my dad's side of the family and, and we would cram ourselves in that house and, and uh, we would have some good cooking. I remember afterwards, me and my cousins, we run outside in the dark and play flashlight tag. And I just remember recalling this as I was smelling the turkey and, and seeing the, the, the green uh, bean casserole. Hallelujah. Uh, and, uh, and, and then the sweet potato casserole and all those wonderful casseroles, right? And uh, brought that back to to my memory. And uh, maybe perhaps you've had something similar to that where you've smelled something and it brought you back something maybe decades ago and, and you feel like you're in the moment again. Have you ever heard a song for the first time in over a decade and immediately you were able to sing every word? Fanny Crosby once said this, what's learned in song is learned long. Let me just give a little caveat here, just a little sidebar. Be careful what music you listen to. Because when it's put to lyrics, when it's put to a tune, it very easily slips through the short-term memory right into the long-term memory. And for whatever reason, you're able then to uh, hold that on for a long time. But we see that it's a process to get things into our memory bank. It goes through the senses, into the short-term memory, then uh, into the long-term memory. Let's then look at the priority, the priority of what we need to have when we are remembering things. How do you get something moved from sensory memory to short-term memory? Well, you, uh, you must pay attention. You must pay attention. If you are uh, in the moment, you're feeling something or you're smelling something or you're hearing something, perhaps even right now in the preaching, my friend, you have to be aware of what's going on. Many of us come in here. I can say there are times that I've come to church. I was not prepared when I came to church. I was focused on more of my weekly uh, uh, duties and Tasks that needed to be done throughout the week, and I would come in, and sure, my ears would hear the preaching, but I, I wouldn't even be able to store what was said even for 30 seconds because I wasn't paying attention. And some of us today will leave this auditorium after having heard about 45 minutes worth of speaking and read various passages of Scripture and walk out and somebody may ask you, they could ask you, what was the message about? Some of us would actually struggle. I'll be honest with you, sometimes I forget what I had for breakfast that morning, right? I'm not paying attention, I'm just going about my day. Preaching is necessary for us to live out what God intends for us. Listen, my friend, we need to be aware of what's going on. You're not going to get what you need 
from the preaching if you're just sitting there on your phone. You're not going to get what you need from the preaching if you're focused on what your neighbor is doing. You're not going to get what you need from the preaching if you keep leaving and using the restroom. Listen, we need to come into church every moment the Word of God is open and say, I need to hear this. I need to pay attention. It's not going to get in my brain by just sitting here. I need to work at it. We need to make it a priority. Some have no idea what I'm talking about right now because they're already their ears are hearing noise and aren't paying attention uh, 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 beyond those noises. Twenty minutes after church, if someone would ask you what the sermon was about, you have you have no idea because you weren't paying attention. How do you get something moved from your short-term memory then to your long-term memory? That is by repetition and recall. Repetition and recall. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 5, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwell first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Paul is saying, hey, he is in prison, he is at the very end of his life, and he's remembering this man, Timothy, that he has mentored, that he has discipled, that he has now led into the pastorate in Ephesus, and he is thinking of him, and he's going all the way back, and he's recalling uh, that time many years ago when he met him in Lystra, uh, as Paul perhaps was maybe still recovering from his stonings in Lystra, and had great persecution in that city, and he thinks about the uh, this man, Timothy, and he says, I... Call to remembrance. Timothy, every time I saw you, every time we went somewhere, every time for decades as, as you would help me and assist me and travel on, I remember, I recall that very first moment where I met your family. I recall that very first moment, Timothy, when you were a, a, a young man of God that had a desire to fulfill God's will with his life and you were willing to, to surrender to that call and do what God called you to do. Paul later tells his church in Philippi, uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse number 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. You see, my friend, the Apostle Paul had a burden for uh, the furtherance of the Gospel. And it wasn't just uh, him remembering the people that he had mentored and, and, and always caring and always writing and always trying to encourage and always trying to pray for all of them. He was also focused on the body, the, the, the church body collectively together. And the Apostle Paul, even while he's in prison, and even while there's great tor- turmoil uh, during this time in, 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 in the church age, we see that even Paul remembers a church many miles ago and he says, I'm thankful every time somebody mentions this church in Philippi, every time somebody says something that sounds like it's from Philippi, I'm always thankful that I get to remember you. Psalm chapter 119, verse number 11. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. How do we get what we have heard? How do we get what we have paid attention to to then be ingrained in our long-term memory so that beyond the property when we leave here today, we will be able to bring them back in the moment that we need it. It is by repetition and recall. 
How do we do this? We must take God's Word in through our eyes and our ears. We must process God's Word in our short-term memory. We must repeat and recall God's Word over and over again so that it is embedded into the memory bank of our minds and then emotionally embraced into our hearts and lifestyles. We have a tendency of opening to passages of Scripture on Sunday and never seeing those passages ever again throughout that week. My friend, Christian, you shouldn't take just what Pastor Lejeune says from this pulpit and say, well, that was good. I'm glad he told it to me. And that's it. What you need to do is you need to take these verses. You need to go home. You need to study them for yourself. Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Listen, I know Pastor Lejeune can rightly divide truth. I know that our life group teachers can rightly divide truth. Listen, I know that leaders and deacons of this church can rightly divide truth. But you are to study for yourself, Christian. Not leaning solely upon what your pastor is saying, but studying for yourself. I hope that all of you come with a little bit of skepticism of what I'm saying today. And I hope that you go home and you open this passage and you say, is what's being shared from the pulpit on Sunday morning, is what was shared in my life group class, is what was shared in Sunday night service, is that what the Bible has to say? And you study it and you look at it. You're recalling and you're remembering. You're bringing these things back. We know what the psalmist said. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. There is a studying. There is a meditating. There is a bringing it back up to chew on and, and to, to recall and, and to, to rehash out what was said. That is how you get something, uh, a truth from your short, short term into your long term. Later in this same chapter of Psalm 119, the psalmist reminds us of the importance of meditation. In verse number 97, Oh, how I love thy law! It is my meditation all the day. It is the, this is the encoding process. This is hearing truth, paying attention to truth, thinking about truth, fully understanding truth, and committing the truth to memory. He said, is my meditation all the day. Sunday, from 8.15 to 12.15 is not the only time that you should be thinking about God. Maybe you say, well, that's not it. I come back at 5 o'clock. Okay? What do you do between the services? I'm thinking about my food. I'm thinking about my nap. I'm thinking about all different kinds of things. We don't even think about what was just preached. We get done on Sunday night. We go home. We enter the work week on Monday. Monday, we never think about what was said in the previous day. We let it go. 
psalmist, as he is studying God's word, he is thinking about it all the day. Not just on Sunday, not just for a couple hours, all the day. We have a lot of things that draw our attention. Our TVs, our phones, internet, all kinds of things. Call for us. Say, hey, look at me, look at me, look at me. Think about me. Don't let this get away from you. Don't let that get away from you. I was getting Black Friday emails all the way, uh, really, about two weeks ago. Getting all kinds of stuff. Get ready for Black Friday. Get ready for Black Friday. Get ready for Black Friday. And then, sure enough, Thanksgiving, my phone just kept going off. Don't forget Black Friday. Don't forget Black Friday. As if I could forget, right? Black Friday comes. They send you an email. Don't forget Black Friday. Saturday. Hey, if you forgot Black Friday, they're still after Black Friday. All right? What are they trying to do? They're calling for you to remember. Do not forget Black Friday. Do not forget the sales that we have. Do not forget to give us your attention. A lot of us, we get those emails and we don't even think twice. Okay, yeah, I know what they're trying to do. But when an announcement goes forth or pastor says, Hey, hey, come back to church. we got some more things we need to remember from God's Word. Why would he try to invite me back to church? I know about church. I know all there is about church. I know I've been coming to church forever. Why is he promoting this? We want you to remember. We know it's vital for all of us that we make it a priority to remember all the day. Not just these moments on Sunday morning, but, but constantly. Jesus said, remember thy word which I have spoken unto you. This is the 51st of the 52nd commands of Christ that we have covered this year. That's a lot. We've covered some on Sunday mornings. We've covered some even on Sunday nights. And this is the 51st of the 52nd commandments that, that we're going to cover throughout this year. How far through the process do, did these commandments make it to your memory bank? Every once in a while, I, I try to challenge myself. And, and uh, I'll, I'll go and I'll find some kind of random trivia. I like that kind of thing, just trying to stimulate the brain. And, and uh, there'll be questions that I'll try to find. And, and, uh, and I'll use uh, maybe my phone or something like that to, to just try to quiz me. And it'll say something along the lines of, uh, how many presidents can you name? And I remember when I was in college, I had to memorize them all. And I had to memorize all of them in order. And, and uh, that was uh, quite a challenge, but I was able to do it. I put work into it, and I, uh, I, I brought it to my remembrance and was able to ace it. And the other day I took a quiz, and I think I was able to get just about 24 or so. Well, not even close to what I once knew in, in college. And, and that type of stuff stimulates me. Listen, my friend, if we have covered 51 commands of Christ, how many of them could you name? Well... I could, I could probably get five. Maybe some of you got a little bit of a bigger brain than I do. Maybe you get ten. Maybe twenty. But I think it's safe to say that none of us have put in the effort to try to memorize all 52 or 51 commands of Christ that we have memorized, that we've talked through, that we've preached on. These are important. 
These are the things that God gave us. Jesus Christ Himself gave us while He was here on this earth. Some of us have pursuits to try to memorize the presidents like I mentioned. And there's a place for that. But what president served in what year and how long he served and all these different things pale in comparison to the importance of God's Word and what Jesus has for us in His commands. Sensory memory. All you had to do was show up and sit in the service just to get your senses to hear what was going on. Short term, you would have needed to pay attention during the service and the preaching. Long term memory, it is an ongoing process. This is why we want you uh, to write down in the outline and download the church app so that you can do your devotions with us and follow along. And, and listen, just a, a little uh, 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 short little bit here about our church app. We have devotions on there. And some of you, you may have seen that the devotions that are used on, on the daily basis are actually just main points of the previous Sunday. You may pick that up. And you might have said, well, why would I read and study the very same thing I just heard this past Sunday? Because, church, God wants us to remember. Not just here. So, we use these tools with a purpose uh, so that you can uh, get these into your long-term memory. How do we remember the commands of Christ? Could you name uh, even more than five of them right now? We need to get them in our long-term memory. So we see the degree of remembrance. We see that it's important. We see that uh, there is work that has to be done in recalling these things. And listen, it's a long-term process. Just as, uh, you know, at one time I could say I knew all the presidents in order and could name them to you uh, pretty easily. I can't do that now. Why is that? Because I haven't studied it. Because I haven't brought it up to my remembrance. I haven't looked at the paper. I haven't looked uh, and tried to get that into my memory. And so what happens after a long period of time, those things slip. And so we need to bring back those old notes. We need to open those pages once again and get them back in. Number two, moving forward, the dangers of forgetfulness. One thing is for sure, the average person only remembers what they want to. The average person only remembers what they want to. We have a tendency to build a narrative in life and, and then hunt for supporting facts of proof to back up that narrative and then ignore everything else. Your boss may have given you a bonus last year. Maybe a sizable one. Your boss may have taken you out to lunch and your boss may have uh, remembered your birthday and your boss may have remembered all kinds of things, but... Because he spoke to you sharply that one day, you want to critique everything he does. He's lazy. He's not a good manager. He's not efficient. He, he doesn't care about people. He doesn't love me. And uh, he's not going to give me a, a bonus this year. And so he must really hate us. He must really not try to care about us. And, and, and listen, my friend, what we do is we begin to build a narrative on what we want it to say, not what actually is happening. It's very easy for all of us, and I mentioned this in our, our life group class earlier, we all have a tendency to make very little effort to try to find the dark side of things over the good side of things. Well, that White Oak Baptist Church, all I want is my money. And you'll forget that 
Really, pastor only preaches about money one month out of the year. Well, that White Oak Baptist Church, oh, their building is falling apart. Well, glory, hallelujah, we have a building. We're not like the first century. They were meeting house to house. Listen, some of you come over to my house, and we try to fit the whole church in my house, we'd be busting at the seams. Right? Hallelujah, we got an auditorium, we can get everybody together and hear the preaching of God's Word. Hallelujah, we got a good sound system. Hallelujah, we got TVs that show the screen. You know, some of you, you say, I prefer that old way. Hey, at least we're able to get, get uh, the lyrics out there. Some of us have a tendency to just find the bad in things, develop a narrative and not look at the full picture. We forget certain facts that are very important to getting the full scope of things. The disciples wanted Jesus to be a political Messiah. They wanted Him to overthrow the Roman government, become their Israeli king. Jesus told them multiple times that He was not here to do that. He told them that He had another job, another plan, uh, but they were not going to listen to Him. They had what they wanted Jesus to do. And they would choose little things here and there of how he would say he'd overcome the world and, and all these little things that would build their narrative. Oh, he surely is the king. Come to deliver us out of the hands of the Romans here. But they would leave out the fact that he was a lamb that came to die. Matthew chapter 8, verse number 31 through 33. And let me encourage all of us to turn there. Matthew chapter 8. You've been sitting and listening well. Let's get our fingers moving. Matthew chapter, or Mark rather, chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Mark chapter 8. You'll see this whole story play out in just a handful of verses. We talk through Mark 8. We'll read a couple of verses there. Mark 9 and Mark 10. Mark chapter 8, verse number 31. I'll read just a handful of verses here. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be, what's that next word? Killed. I think I remember if somebody said that they were going to die. They didn't want to remember that. And after three days, rise again. That's quite interesting. And he spake and uh, that saying openly and Peter took him and began to rebuke him. I don't know how that turned out. I don't know what was exactly said. And Peter may have been like, oh, what are you talking about? This isn't popular. This isn't going to establish you a throne. This isn't going to make you uh, uh, somebody that people want to follow. But when he had turned uh, about and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. Look at the next chapter, Mark chapter 9, verse number 30. And they departed thence and passed through Galilee. He would not that any man should know it, for he, told, or for he taught his disciples and said unto them, The Son of Man is delivered under the hands of men, that they, they shall kill him. After that, he is killed, and he shall rise the third day. But they understood not that saying, and were afraid to ask Him. So, here, just two times, in a handful of passages of Scripture, Jesus says, I'm going to die. I'm going to be killed. 
and I'm going to rise again three days. He's about as clear as you possibly can be on the matter. Look then over the next chapter, Mark chapter 10. It should be just a page or so over. Mark chapter 10, verse number 32. And they were in the way going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus went before them and they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid and Took, and he took about, uh, the, uh, again, the twelve and began to tell them what things should happen unto him, saying, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn me to death, and shall deliver, and, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles, and they shall mock him, and shall scourge him, and shall spit on him, and shall kill him. The third day he shall rise again. Three times, three times, he told them that he would be killed and that he would rise up from the dead. But when the time came, they had completely forgotten what he had said. When we forget what God tells us, our faith grows weak. Letter A, our faith grows weak. The danger of forgetfulness is our faith grows weak. If you're in Mark 10, go over then a few uh, chapters to uh, chapter 14, Mark 14. Verse number 45, and as soon as he, he was come, he goes straightway to him. Saith, Master, Master, and kissed him, and they laid their hands on him and took him. So, Jesus has just uh, uh, finished with the uh, the Last Supper, and he is uh, there in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we understand that Judas had already departed, and he had uh, gone to the the the, uh, the priests and and uh, the rulers there, and had made a deal. And they uh, were then come to arrest Jesus. And we know that that Judas said, "The man that I kiss, he is the one that you want to take. He is the one that you uh, want to arrest." And and so Judas then comes, and that is where we pick up in verse forty five, and and he kisses uh, Jesus, and they laid their hands on them and took him. In verse uh, number 48, drop down with me to verse number 48. And Jesus answered and said to them, Are ye come out uh, as against a thief with swords and with staves uh, to take me? I was daily with you in the temple teaching, and ye took me not, but the scriptures, uh, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. And they all forsook him and fled. Jesus had told his disciples just three times. He's told them many others, but those three times in Mark we find he told them specifically what was going to happen. It happens. They forget what he said, or they chose not to remember parts of what he said. And now, because they have forgotten, their faith is weak and they forsook Jesus. Many have their own narrative of how the Christian life should work. When things do not go according to their narrative, it causes their faith uh, to grow weak. What do they do? They forsake the Lord and flee the church. Listen, I think there's going to be a mass exodus from church when there's persecution. 
I think all of us have the heart of, I'll stand for the Lord, I love the Lord, but as long as I have an American right to do so, I'll keep serving Him. And we think that God has given us this space of grace that will extend. My friend, at some point, there will be persecution on the church. When you look at church history as a whole, the, the vast majority, the, the overwhelmingly high amount of time, uh, there has been more persecution on the church than there has been peace. We have been given these last several hundred years here in America, this opportunity to, uh, to live here in peace and, and to be able to worship our God in the way that de- we deem fit. But there will be one day when the spirit of Antichrist will arise. And when the church becomes, and I think we're, we're very close to it, when the church becomes a target of this spirit of Antichrist. And I think the day that that goes forth, While there are many here in the room today, I think there will be a day when there's just a handful of folks. I hope that I'm proved wrong, but I think vastly across America, auditoriums will be next to empty. Because they have forgotten that the Scripture says that you will suffer persecution. Yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. We say, well, that just means somebody's going to call me a bad name or something like that. Contextually, that's not true. Do you understand out of, the, out of the, uh, the apostles in the New Testament, all of them were martyred save one. John, who was boiled in oil and, and lived, still had a very, very hard life. Jesus himself was persecuted. Jesus himself was killed on a cross. Listen, my friend, all of us today, we need to understand that, that, that church, by and large, when you take a stand on truth, you are standing for God, but you are standing against an enemy that is just as real as the God we serve. Satan is just as real as God in heaven. And he desires to get to you. He desires to bring you down. He desires to harm you. And boy, he would save uh, God's hand of protection around us. Thankful that God cares for us that much, but we must, we must remember what God tells us in His Word. And and when we begin to forget these things, then uh, our faith is weakened. Once our faith is weakened, our fear grows strong, letter B. Our fear grows strong. Go with me to Luke chapter 24, verse number 38. Many of you understand that in a room, in a room perhaps with with no windows, as long as the light switch is on, the light bulbs are working, everything's bright. But the minute you flip the switch and the lights go out, light dissipates and darkness takes its place. Our faith and our fear are like light and darkness. When faith does not take over you, fear will. When you choose not to remember the things that have been told, 
When you choose not to exercise your faith and grow your faith and make it stronger, fear begins to set in. In Luke chapter 24, verse number 3, the Bible says this, And they entered in, and they found not the body of the Lord Jesus, and it came to pass, as they were much perplexed. What are you perplexed about? Jesus said this was going to happen. Thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in, in shining garments. And as they were afraid, bowed their heads face and, 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 and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto, unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. What's that next word? Remember how He spake unto you when He was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise again. And they remembered His words. Many people live in fear because they have not forgot, they have forgotten the great words of the Bible. God's Word promises, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. But many a Christian uh, believe that they live in isolation. God promises, uh, God's Word makes promises, uh, such as, uh, we are more than conquerors, but many Christians live in a state of defeat. God's Word promises, come unto me, uh, and I will give you rest, but many believe, uh, their lives, uh, leave their lives in emotion or turmoil and exhaustion. Just like darkness fills the space when light is turned off, fear floods the heart when one loses his faith. So there is a danger of forgetfulness. Which leads us then to number three, the duty to remember. When we have a duty to remember certain things, we have a duty to remember certain things. What is it that we should remember? What does God want us to remember? Letter A, biblical examples. Biblical examples. Look over, if you're in Luke chapter 24, look over to Luke chapter 17. Just a few pages to your left. Luke chapter 17, verse number 32 records three words. Three words. And these three words are just like you smelling some kind of savor that brings you back to your childhood. These three words should bring us back to the book of Genesis. The Bible says in Luke chapter 17, verse number 32, let's read it together. Ready, begin. Remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. Nothing, no, nothing more needed to be said in Scripture. Nothing more needed to, to bring them uh, to uh, a place of remembrance. All that needed to be said was remember Lot's wife. The Bible is filled with lots of stories. Why? So that we can learn through illustration what to do and what not to do. This is why it is important uh, to get your children in Sunday school and uh, here on their Wednesday evening children's programs. This is this uh, this way your children can learn the stories of the Bible as a young uh, person and and as they are in this impressionable uh, age. As they get older, these stories will help them remember. And shape their uh, their behavior. This phrase, this verse, remember Lot's wife, we're rem- reminded uh, of her entitlement. 
the fact that she loved the world so much and, and she was fleeing from uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. You remember in Genesis, as Lot is told, get out of Sodom and Gomorrah. God is going to rain down fire and brimstone and all that are in the city and all that are in the surrounding area will be utterly consumed. And don't even look back. Don't even see what's going on. All you need to do is flee from the mountains. Just get out of there. And, and Lot picks up his family and the possessions that he can uh, bring. And, and they begin to go. And as they're getting out, we're reminded that Lot's wife took one peek back and she became a pillar of salt. She felt like she was being wrong. She wanted those things. She wanted the beauty and the glam and the attraction of the world. And she couldn't take God at His Word. And, 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 and she, she was going to miss what was going on behind her. She was going to miss all the possessions. She just wanted one last look at what was going on. One last look at where she had come from. She was entitled. We're reminded of her worldliness. Reminded of her materialistic heart. Don't be like Lot's wife. Abraham was justified by faith. Hebrews 11 tells us that by faith he obeyed, not knowing whether he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise. By faith uh, when he was uh, uh, tried, offered up uh, Isaac. As we muse on, as we recall, as we repeat these stories found in Scripture, we're reminded of behavior that doesn't please our Maker and does please our Maker and Savior. So we're able to go back and we're able to uh, uh, remember biblical characters and biblical examples that help us in our spiritual walk with the Lord. We're reminiscing, reflecting back in our life group class today about Jonah. Jonah was a man that at the end of his life, we understand that he was uh, uh, very embittered and I believe perhaps even struggling with depression and struggling with some racism and, and some hatred against the people of Nineveh. And is discouraged that God has not utterly consumed the Ninevites. Wiped them off of the face of the earth. And that's how we leave Jonah. In a very bad situation. We know that Jonah then was used of God to pen the words of the book of Jonah. And so as we can discern from first, uh, first, or second Peter rather, uh, uh, that, uh, that, that, that the holy men spake as they were moved. And so it was holy men that have been used to pen down Scripture. And, 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 and let me say this, if, if, if Jonah was a racist, if Jonah uh, was, uh, uh, was uh, struggling with depression, that's not a holy man. That's not a characteristic of a holy man. So we, we were able to discern that Jonah at some point in his life was able to repent and was able to get back in right standing with God and was used in a great way. And we talk about Jonah and the whale uh, all the time as Christians, even as young people, children, they study this great story of Jonah. And I could only imagine, as I, as I told in the, 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 the life group class today, that uh, I could imagine Jonah writing that whole story in and, and his mind, knowing the journey that took place after uh, Nineveh, and knowing that he repented and got back to God. But it gets to him in that gourd, and he's cursing God and all these different things. And God says, okay, you can put the pen down now. Maybe Jonah looks up at God and says, 
But God, I got, I got something else I want to say here. I want the people that read this story to know I got things right. We're, we're okay now. I made right standing with you. I, I confess my sin. I, I'm no longer that man that, that, that I wrote here at the end of, of the book of Jonah. And, and God says, I know, I know. That's not what I want you to write about. I want you to leave the pen right there. I'm going to use that story. I'm going to use that story for the person that's struggling. I'm going to use that person for uh, use that story for the person that, that is in depression. I'm going to use that uh, story for the person that needs uh, to know what it's like to bear the gospel and to bring it to another uh, area of the globe. I'm going to use that story to show what it's like for somebody to run against God and the type of hardships and difficulties that a person, that a man of God will face if he does not submit and surrender to the call. Of God in his life. What God wants us to do is remember these biblical examples. Letter B, I believe this is the last point, second to last point, excuse me. We must remember Christ's edict. Christ's edict. This calendar year, we have looked at the commands of Christ in six different categories. We've boiled all 51 of these uh, uh, commands of Christ down into uh, just a handful of categories here. My character, my calling, uh, my uh, concerning others, how we interact with other people around us, cautions that God gives us, uh, coming to God and Christ as Lord. It would be wise to take these commands and place a high priority, not only understand them, but also live them. What is the benefit of obeying Christ's commands? Well, go back to our passage of Scripture in John chapter 15. Verse number 10, If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have uh, kept my Father's commandments, and abide in His love. These things have I spoken unto you, that that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. Christ did not give us these commands to ruin our fun or limit our lives. He gave us these commandments to maximize our quality of life and relationships. He gave us these to to fill the joy tank. Sure, there are safeguards. Sure, there are boundary points. But within these boundaries, within these commands, there is great joy, there is great freedom, there is great liberty, there is great peace, and there is great hope. What is that? We are to call to remembrance. We are to remember biblical examples. Remember Christ's edict. And finally here, salvation's expense. Salvation's Expense. With a very sober tone and heavy heart, Jesus gathered with his disciples in the upper room and had what is now known as the Last Supper. He held up the bread and the wine and declared, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Then he held up the juice and declared, Drink. This is my blood which is shed for you. And then the last phrase in Luke twenty two nineteen, this do in remembrance of me. In remembrance of me. One of Jesus' last messages, one of Jesus' last teachings to his disciples. Sure, I want you to remember the characters that are in the Bible, how to live the life and how not to live life. I want you to remember my commands and all the different messages and all the different things I've been teaching you. 
But the very last thing I want you to remember, church, is I want you to remember my sacrifice. I want you to remember that I will hang upon a tree the cross of Calvary and blood will pour down. There will be a great crown of thorns upon my head and a great spear thrust in my side. And there will be whippings of the cat of nine tails. And, 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 and there will be a, 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 just a, a, a traumatic scene. And I'm doing this for a reason. I don't ever want you to forget my sacrifice. And church, you're going to last for thousands of years. Church of 2023, sure, my sacrifice happened 2,000 years ago, but I don't want you to forget. And when you remember, I want it to change how you act. When you sin, church, I want you to remember that that sin put me on the tree. When you use my name in vain, Understand that it is me and me alone that purchased you and died for you so that you can live for me. He reminds us of His sacrifice and He reminds us of our love. And as we remember how He loved us, He also then shows us how we are to love others. He gave His only begotten Son on the cross to die. This morning as I was getting ready, my son was on the bed and he had a pillow wrapped around him and he just gives me about the sweetest smile he possibly can give right now. I love when he's just wide awake and he's got those big eyes. He sits there in the bed. A lot of times I'll wake up and he's laying there, just kind of uh, uh, right next to me. My, my wife is feeding him and, and, and taking care of him. And, and I'll wake up and he'll make eye contact with me and he'll give me this little cheesy smile. Boy, do I love it. And he can't talk. He can't say anything. He has never said he loves me once. But there's nothing I would do to sacrifice him. There is no person that could take him away. There is no person that, 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 that could desire harm. And I wouldn't step in and say, no, I'm going to protect my son. When God looked at us, he said, I love you so much. I'm willing to give my most prized possession for you. I'm giving my only begotten son. There is nobody else in this world that could take the place of Jesus. He is the sinless sacrifice and He came and died on the cross for us. And He asks us, don't forget, don't forget what I did for you. Remember what salvation costs. It wasn't cheap. It wasn't a simple one, two, three type thing. It was something that was a sacrifice, the greatest sacrifice. What was the expense of salvation? A broken body. Spilled blood of Jesus Christ. However, The God who made our brains knows that unless we regularly repeat and recall what happened, uh, then we will soon forget the great price that He paid. This is why He gave us the Lord's Supper. 
This is why we partake. And there are many that don't think it's important. There are many that just think it's a formality. God wants us to remember, church. This do as oft as you drink in remembrance of me. He wanted us to pause and remember both intellectually and emotionally the great price that was paid uh, for your salvation to be realized. We remember those things that are important to us. Each of us have memorized both good and bad. We revisit perhaps wrongs that have happened to us years ago and we bring them up over and over and over again. I've told the church in a joking manner how much we don't like Texas. Okay, For those of you that don't know, just before we came here about three years ago, we were in Texas. And I'm thoroughly convinced Texas is trying to kill its residents. Between the snakes, the, uh, the heat, and then just as we were leaving, it, it decided to have a, a blizzard and all kinds of stuff. Uh, the allergies, all those different things are happening while we're out there, right? And sometimes my wife and I will go on a drive and we'll just say, remember Texas? Remember that season of life we were in? What a miserable time, right? And sometimes we go down the sour path and only want to think about the things that were bad. But you know what? There's good. I'm here today because of Texas. Would not have known Pastor Lejeune or the White Oak Baptist Church if it wasn't for that season. God taught us a lot while we were down there and a lot happened and, and, and we enjoyed it. And, but, but what's the point of what I'm trying to make here? I'm, I'm saying we remember those things on a weekly basis and both the good and the bad. Church, how often do we remember what Christ did for us? Sure, we may remember the trials, we may remember the difficulties, but when did the conversation go, remember what Christ did for us? Remember what He's still doing in us right now? Remember how He's not finished with us? He still loves us in spite of us? Remember the words that I say unto you. The servant is not greater than the Lord. They have persecuted me, they will persecute you. They have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. Practically, read your Bible daily. Read your Bible daily. If you read your Bible daily, you're going to have those things come back to your remembrance. Take time to meditate upon what you have read. Memorize God's Word. Memorize some of the Scripture that we talked about today. Some of you maybe, uh, as, you, as you, you heard, Psalm 1, able to, to quote most of it to memory. Why? Because I put work into it. And I hope that each of you put some work into Bible memorization. I, I remember one of our deacons came to me just a few weeks ago and said, we need to emphasize Bible memorization. And boy, is that a, a, a virtuous pursuit. Something that all of us should desire to do. That we get God's words in our heart. Let me encourage you, church, come hungry for the preaching. Don't just come for the music. Don't just come for the fellowship. Come hungry for the preaching of God's Word. Pray as you come into the building that you be prepared. Turn off the cell phones and get the distractions put away and, and say, I'm going I'm to focus because I need to remember these things. I need to apply these things. Take notes. Talk about what you've read and heard in the preaching shortly after you've taken it in. Do your best, church, to live what you have learned. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. I don't know how the Lord's working in your heart today. Perhaps there's somebody within the sound of my voice. You, have, you can't remember. 
what Christ did for you on the cross. You can't remember that great sacrifice because you've never been told it in the first place. Perhaps there's somebody in the sound of my voice today. You say, Pastor Andrew, I don't know what you were talking about, about Christ's sacrifice. You said that He died for me and He has a home in heaven for me, but I don't understand that. My friend, that's what we call the Gospel. The Gospel is God's love story to us and that when we were sinners, God knew there was a punishment for our sin and that's a place called hell. When we pass from this earth, if we don't have our sins forgiven, we will spend eternity in a place called hell. But God looked upon us and He said, I don't desire for anybody to go to that awful place. And I'm going to die on the cross. And I'm going to pay the price for mankind's sin so that they no longer have to go to hell, but they could be forgiven through the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. All that I ask in return is that, that people call upon Me. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We like to say it like this. The ABCs of salvation are admit you're a sinner, believe Jesus Christ died for you, and call upon Him to save you. And that is salvation. If you don't understand that message, if you've never had a time where you've called upon the Lord to save you and to take you to heaven, you'd like somebody to talk to you. We'll have some folks here ready to talk to you. I'd like to pray for you. Is there somebody within the sound of my voice that say, Pastor Andrew, I don't know that if I were to die today that I would go to heaven. Is there anybody within the sound of my voice? You'd slip your hand up ever so quickly. Nobody's looking around. Every head's bowed. Every eye is closed. There's somebody in, in this building that would say, Pastor Andrew, I don't know if I were to die today that I would go to heaven. Just slip your hand right up, right back down. I just want to pray for you. I don't want to embarrass you. I don't want to, uh, I don't want to uh, make you feel intimidated or anything like that. I just want to pray for you. Anybody like that? You say, Pastor Andrew, I don't know if I were to die today, I'd go to heaven. Slip it right up, right back down. Thank you for your honesty today. Perhaps there's somebody within the sound of my voice. You're saved, you know you're on your way to heaven, but you know that you've forgotten some of the very important things that God brings, wants you to bring to remembrance. Maybe you've come to church and you've become uh, apathetic about the preaching and you haven't been as focused as you should be. And, and you say, well, it's just same old, same old. I already know all this stuff. Perhaps after the message today, you say, Pastor Andrew, I need to take it a little more seriously and I need to, I need to remember God's Word a little bit better. How many of you with an upraised hand say, Pastor Andrew, I need to remember God's Word a little bit better. I need to be a little more focused. I need to memorize some Scripture. I need to take this thing seriously. I need to go home. I need to study. Thank you for your honesty. I see hands all over. If you stand to your feet, the pianist is going to play.